Hey, everybody, and welcome. I'm glad you're here. I know that many of you are starting to join, and I'm so excited to see you. Um, I love that you're coming to, uh, to watch live at 10 o'clock on Wednesday morning, and some of you wait and watch it later in the week, and some of you are watching on YouTube or you're listening on my podcast, so thank you so much for being here, and happy St. Patrick's Day. Uh, do you know St. Patrick was a missionary? He was a missionary in Ireland, and we celebrate him today. Whether we are Catholic or we're not, we celebrate St. Patrick because he was a wonderful uh, minister and missionary, and that's what we all aim to be. So, happy St. Patty's Day. Well, welcome to the Fruit of the Spirit study. You know, we have studied eight of them. Today we study number nine, self-control. How are you doing with that? <laughs> it's, it's really critical to practice self-control and we're tested all the time. Today we're going to learn how very important self-control is and how it's connected to all of the other fruit characteristics. You'll learn that today. You know, I heard somebody who said they were giving up self-control for Lent. <laughs> oh, goodness. It reminds me of my husband giving up asparagus for Lent. You know, that's, you know, that's no big deal for him, but self-control, you know, that's a hard one, isn't it? So uh, that's the purpose of giving up something for Lent that is really hard. But, you know, I don't think self-control is on the list. Uh, you know, we need to get self-control, but it is hard. It's a struggle. Listen to what this one husband and wife went through. The husband asked his wife, you know, when you get mad, I notice that you stay really calm and, and you don't react. And how do you maintain your self-control? And she said, well, it's really easy. And he said, what do you mean? She said, I just go and clean the toilet. And he said, well, how does that help? And she says, I use your toothbrush. Oh my goodness, you know, I guess whatever it takes. Uh, but we need to learn self-control early, don't we? That's why it's important for parents to teach children to learn to control and to practice self-control. So imagine how a life would look. Let's imagine a, a kid who throws tantrums, never can control himself when he's little. He grows into an elementary age and a child and still practices all the manipulation to get his way and, and throws a fit when, when he doesn't get his way. And then as a teenager, oh, the, the fits just become bigger and they have emotional outbursts. Now imagine this child is now in his or her 20s. And so let's fast forward to the future self. They don't have self-control and yelling in the face of your soon-to-be former employee is not a good idea. Yes, we need to learn self-control early. Well, I want us to look at the benefits of self-control. In the 70s, there was a psychologist, Walter Mischel, who conducted this experiment, and he gave the, the children, you may have heard of this because it, it, we've, we've um, uh, used to hear about it in school and college, and gave the children a choice in between having a cookie immediately and or waiting to when he returns back into the room and having two cookies. Now that would take self-control. What would you do? Take one now or wait for later to have two. 
what would you do? Well, here is what the results showed. Those who waited as, as they followed the progress of these children did better in school and ended up earning higher incomes. Wow, that's a win, isn't it? When we learn to control ourselves, good things happen. Would you agree? Isn't that a great study that was done? Well, what in the world is self-control? It's exactly what it sounds like. It's control over self. Self-control, or the King James Version uses temperance. Temperance, you know, sounds like an old-fashioned word to us, but that's what it is. Temperance. It's the ability to control yourself, to control your emotions, and that involves moderation. It involves constraint. It involves the ability to say no to our base desires, our base desires and our fleshly desires, our fleshly lusts. Uh, this is what the Paul, Apostle Paul was thinking about when he wrote this from 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. See, that means practicing self-control. We take the thoughts that come into our head and we bring them into control. We stop them. We stop them before they move into a bad place if they are negative thoughts, uh, if they're angry thoughts, anything that would not produce fruit. We stop them. We capture those and say, no, no, not going any further with that thought. That is practicing self-control. Because here's what happens. Our thoughts lead us to actions. And this includes then taking control in the thought process so our actions won't be out of control despite all the pull of temptations on our lives. Well, this is the, the final characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. It comes from a, a word in the Greek that is said, in, in kratia, in kratia, E-N-K-R-A-T-E-I-A, in kratia. And, and this was an important word. Let's get the understanding. It, here's, it goes to the meaning, the implication that God gives us our own will to act and to do things, but he lets us choose, but he gives us the will, but he, he has a desire for us to choose the appropriate behavior. That's what is behind that word. Well, he doesn't turn us into robots when he creates us and tells us you must do, you must do. No, that's why he sent his son to get away from that whole idea of having to follow all those laws from the Old Testament. No, he said, here's what I'm doing. I'm giving you your own ability to do what I ask you to do, your own will to do it. But what I'm asking you to do is to practice self-control. See, that's what he does. He says, you know, I give you choices, but what I want you to do is to practice self-control. So here is what that word in Kratia implies, is that we have this supernatural ability to submit our will to his will. Supernatural. That means it is not natural. It's super from above, from the Holy Spirit within, this supernatural ability to turn our will into his will. 
as things come into the thought process. Here's what Proverbs 25 verse 28 says. A man, a man without, okay, you, if you're a woman out there watching, oh, you can say this. A woman without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Think about that. That's what scripture tells us. Proverbs, the book of wisdom says, without self-control, we are broken and we are exposed. Now, does that make a difference in how you view that? It certainly did for me. Uh, the Apostle Paul compared the self-discipline required in Christian living with athlete training for and then competing in those ancient athletic games. And here is what it says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in small things. That's what Paul said. It's like being an athlete. An athlete has to exercise self-control over the little things. Now, just imagine what are those things that athletes have to have control over because they have to be very disciplined in their what? Go ahead and, and write those things down. Just say what it is in your comments. What things do they have to control? And what are those little things that could really get in the way of winning the race? Well, think about it. They have to exercise. They have strenuous tra uh, training protocols. They need to watch their diet. They need to make sure they get sleep. I see Susan, yes, she came up with that word. Oh yes, and Margie, diet. They have to be controlled in those things. So they uh, think seriously about their freedoms. See, that's what an athlete does. They think seriously about the freedoms they have, the, the will that they have. They have to think seriously. So I hope that that is registering with you. Yes, you all are coming up with the great answers there for the discipline and the self-control an athlete needs to have. And then we just translate that into the self-control that we need to have in our own life for those little things that get in the way when we just want to have a temper flare-up. Uh, just when we want to say things that's a little bit snarky or unkind, when we want to do things that we're, we're fudging just a little bit. See, those are what we bring into control. Uh, he uh, has to have the, he has to drill too. He has to practice. See, that athlete or the, the she has to do it as well, has to practice. And that's what we need to do. Practice control every area of life needs to be brought under control. So it is in the Christian life that Paul is addressing, 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, train yourself for godliness. That's the practice. That's the train training, just as an athlete does. So to pursue this holiness, this idea of staying in the holy road, that righteous road in staying in there, self-discipline is really hard. Now, think about nominal Christians or what we might call half-hearted Christians. They do very little training for the, the kind of disciplined life we're supposed to have. And so they become out of shape. And, you know, and, and nobody take offense in this, but they're flabby Christians. You see what I mean? Flabby Christians? You like that one? Because they're not practicing the discipline of being fit 
Christians. Now, that should be a wonderful image for us to hold on to. Uh, the lifestyle of Christians who are nominal and who are not practicing discipline of self-control becomes self-indulgent, and it becomes more about self than about Christ. But a spirit-controlled person, <laughs> see you like that, spirit-controlled person will be in control of, of this. Thinking, your thoughts, your emotions, your words, and your actions. That's what a spirit-controlled Christian can do. When we begin to react to situations instead of responding, our emotions begin to take control. We don't have control of our emotions. And then we're more likely to, to say things that are defensive or things that are hurtful because we did not get that emotion under control. So responding appropriately involves developing thoughtful responses. And those are guided by reason and Christian beliefs more than just emotions. So that's a little glimpse of how we can get out of control if we don't start with our thoughts, moving into our emotions, our words, and our actions. We control all four of those. Think of it as the plumbing process. Once the, the water line is connected in your house, you turn on the water pressure and the plumber looks to see if there are any leaks because now there is pressure in the system. And so the plumber is looking for leaks. It's the same with the Christian life. Once we become connected to Christ, once we begin abiding in him, any pressure on our lives, any pressure from the outside or inside, then we'll reveal if we have any leaks. And those leaks are where we're not practicing self-control. Sometimes that pressure can come uh, through emotional areas of our life. It can come through physical areas of our life, mental strain. It can come from spiritual pressure that we're feeling. Those pressure in any areas of our life might expose a leak. And that means it's an area we're not controlling very well. Well, So you can be pressured to think, feel, say, and do things that go against the Holy Spirit in our lives. So sometimes pressures reveal weak spots in us. Think back on the last week or two or day or two and think about any time where you did not respond well to a situation, a person, a circumstance, a clerk at a store, a family member, whatever. Think about what pressure was behind that. That's an exposed leak in your life. So let's look at specifically how to control our thoughts, our feelings, our words, and our actions. So the thoughts. What we want to do, what scripture tells us to, to do, is to trans, be transformed in our thinking to do as Paul has said and take captive those thoughts and then to reframe those thoughts. And so in order to do that, we want to recognize when that intrusive thought uh, is taking over. I'm gonna show her, I'll just tell her what's going on. Oh, I'll set her straight. I can't deal with that person. And so it begins to come in. And so we recognize it's coming in. <clears throat> we know it's wrong. And so we become intentional to stop the thought. We stop it because we have control over that. 
You know, people can't say, I just can't help what I'm thinking. That is not true. We can help because it's in our thought process, not somebody else's. And then we replace that thought. We say, no, you're not coming in here. No, no, no. And we switch it to a positive. You know, that person spoke unkindly to me, but I don't know what happened uh, earlier. I don't know what drove her to that. And so I need to think about that. And maybe I need to quiet my mind for a minute and really process how I should respond to that person. So we replace that thought with something that's positive, that's affirming, that's biblical. We say a scripture and we seek the good thoughts and we work on them because here's what scripture tells us in Proverbs 11, verse 27. He who seeks good finds good will, but evil comes to him who searches for it. So when the good comes in, the good will come out. When the evil comes in, the evil will, will come out. Uh, that's a beautiful reminder that I want to seek good because that will give me goodwill. And that's what God expects from me. Our thoughts are what trigger our feelings. So we have the thoughts. Now we're moving into feelings. Emotions are a good and gracious gift that all of us want and that were given by God. He gave us emotions, uh, but we just need to deal with them and learn to control them so that we can respond in, with our feelings that are healthy and that are biblical. So let's look at that. I don't believe that God created us for our feelings to guide us. I think this is what goes so wrong in relationships, especially in marriages, because what we hear is people say, I just don't feel it anymore. I just don't feel like I love him or love her anymore. I don't feel like doing this. And we let the feelings guide what we do. See, here's the biblical truth. God wants control of our emotions. Think about that. He wants the control. When we are the ones that are trying to use our emotions to drive what we say and what we do, then we've hijacked that responsibility from God. He wants that job. He wants to be the one to guide our emotions. <clears throat> so the only way that can happen is through allowing the Holy Spirit to produce that self-control in our lives. See the connection that the Holy Spirit produces that in us, that because we don't naturally have it, but there wouldn't even be a word for it if, if uh, it weren't a problem. We'd not even have that word self-control. Our feelings should not be what guides our decisions, but rather an indicator of what's going on inside. Okay, now I know there's this whole thing of you have a hutch about something, you have a, an inclination, you have a, a gut feeling about that, and I can see some validity in that, or your heart may guide you, but that is only if it is centered on the direction of the Holy Spirit. If it is not, then that is void and null in, in how we use that to make decisions. Uh, when we are upset and about to lose control, then we need to look at the indication of what is going on 
inside us. We need to look at our feelings, and I've given you in your handout some questions to, to ask yourself. And uh, again, those questions have been posted on the WOW uh, Facebook page. Uh, Susan, our, uh, our membership chair, emails those out every week on Monday. And for others, I will be happy to send these handouts to you if you just send me uh, a message. So here are the questions to ask yourself when emotions are a little bit out of control. You're trying to figure out what you need to say or do. So ask yourself, all right, what am I feeling right now? It's the first question. And then say, I, you know, I'm really disappointed right now. My nerves are on edge. I'm feeling angry. I'm confused. I am furious, whatever it is. What am I feeling? Then what happened to make me feel this way? Because the way I'm feeling means I'm getting ready to say and do things I should not do. Maybe it's because somebody just dismissed you or brushed you off or set you aside or uh, disengaged from you and just just ignored you or, or made you mad or whatever. So what happened to make me feel this way? Then the third question is, uh, what does this explanation, I'm sorry, does this situation have a different explanation that might take, make, make sense and might change things for me. So you might say, maybe that person was stressed. Maybe they're sick or maybe they're dealing with something I don't even know about. Uh, and that might explain why this happened. And then you begin to tell yourself, you know, that doesn't give me cause to react in an inappropriate and ungodly, unspiritual way. The next question is, uh, what do I want to do about these feelings? What do I want to do about this? Because I'm about to say and do things I know I shouldn't. Well, what do you want to do? Do you need to go somewhere and scream? That is okay. <laughs> Choose your place carefully. Do I need to throw something? You know, and sometimes that's okay. <laughs> uh, do I need to, what, what do I need to do to kind of it, get the feelings under control. But if you want to throw things at the other person and scream at the other person and text mean, horrible things, and then that is the wrong re reaction because it's a reaction and not a response. So analyze, well, what am I getting ready to do with these feelings that are underlying right here after that encounter? The next one is, is there a better way? Is there a better way to cope with what I'm feeling? And so then you begin to, to uh, take that step back that we talked about last week. You take the step back, you take a breath, you write in the sand as Jesus did, in other words. Uh, you take a moment to reflect, and then you may want to ask the other person, you know, is everything okay? You know, I'm sorry you're, you're feeling this way, and I just wanna check to see if you're okay. Um, I'd love to talk to you about this at another time. Or maybe you walk away. <laughs> you, you, you figure out what is appropriate at that moment. Now, so here I've given you the questions to ask. And once you pr practice those and get those in your head, it, it becomes, it can be a split second. Remember, we use those things in the gap. The gap that God gave us that he didn't give other creatures. And that is that brief moment where we have to respond instead of react. And those are some questions for you to do to practice your self-control. 
So you're, you are considering alternatives. You're reframing your thoughts, and all of those can help prevent you from an extreme reaction to another person. And so practice this until it becomes a habit. That's what we want to do. With practice, going over these steps helps it become easier and it will be more effective. So living by faith means allowing God to guide what's going on with us emotionally and not us relying on our emotions. I hope that makes sense to you because to me that's one of the most uh, confusing areas where people think that their emotions need to drive them. And really what happens, it drives people away if we don't have those emotions under control by the Holy Spirit. Please let me know if that makes sense to you and if that's something that, um, well, you don't have to tell me if that's something you want to work on, but it is something we all need to be focused on, the emotional aspect. Let's move to words. You can imagine how many words an average person speaks in a day. Can you imagine how many? Well, now some of you are a little quieter than others. Remember that um, melancholies may not speak as much or phlegmatics as much as that choleric and that sanguine wants to gab and carry on, you know, incessantly and quickly. But we all do say a lot of words if we're not stuck at home in a pandemic. But anyway, y'all get what I mean. Some estimate that women speak twice as much as men. Well, okay, so I think that could be true maybe, but I think it's more related to the personalities and who speaks more. Well, and so here's the point I want to make. We could fill a library in a lifetime with the words that we speak if we wrote down all the words that we speak and put them into books, do you know that at the end of our life, we would have a library of our words? Yikes! Does that scare anybody? Because think about what people would read. Now, listen, I'm talking about words. I'm not even talking about thoughts because we would have multiple libraries. We'd have presidential libraries the size of those with just our thoughts. Imagine if they became books in libraries. What would the titles be? What would the title of your book be from the past week? <laughs> you know that our tongues really have the power to influence. Do we have control over them? Do we use the filter? And here's what I think the filter is. The sieve of our thoughts and our words is the Holy Spirit. Do we filter all of that through the Holy Spirit before we speak? Because our words are so powerful. So here's what we want to be. We want to be self-controlled with our words. We need to know what to say, when to say it, and when to walk away. Look at Proverbs 12, 18. It says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Now that's the truth of scripture. <clears throat> Reckless words pierce like a sword. Has anyone been pierced by the sword of words from other people? I know I certainly have. I have been pierced by words that other people say, some intentionally and unintentionally, 
they hurt, don't they? Anybody can relate to that? The more essential question is, have I spoken reckless words that have pierced somebody else? I'm afraid that I've done that. <laughs> I'm afraid I've done that. Hopefully it's been a long time ago. If I have done it today or yesterday or uh, in the recent past, I am so terribly sorry and I ask forgiveness because I have hopefully learned how powerful words are and that we don't want to inflict those swords. I know so many of you are relating to that. I see by the emoji you're sending. But our tongue, the tongue of the wise, and what I want to say here, the tongue of a spirit-controlled follower of Christ brings healing. That's what we want. We want our words to bring healing. So let's be gentle. Look at what scripture says in Proverbs 15, verse 1. A gentle answer turneth away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Gentle words turn away, turn away that wrath. That's what we need to be thinking about when we're approached by someone who is not practicing spirit-controlled words. We need to think about that, that my gentle word is going to turn away that wrath, but harsh words are just going to stir up the anger. Well, we learn also in Proverbs 6, 2, you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. Oh my goodness, that judgment right there. Can you think about that? Has anybody ever been trapped by what you said? Oh my goodness, it's happened to me when the words have come out and I want to pull them back in, but I can't and I'm trapped. I'm trapped because the words are out. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Is there anything more vivid right now than what has happened in the last year of our lives with words? With words that have come out in social media, words that have come out in the press, the words that we read, the words that we hear, those words that have trapped people. We may be guilty ourselves of words we put out there. I don't ever want to be trapped by the words because what it says, we're ensnared by the words of our mouth. Oh, I want to hold those words captive so that I will not be ensnared by them. Isn't that a beautiful image that Proverbs has given us? Remember this, negative words are the devil's acid meant to destroy. I'll say that again. Negative words, put in another word, harsh words, mean words, hateful words, are the devil's acid to destroy. That's what the devil wants from us. That is why we want to be spirit-controlled with our words. But God's word, you know what they're like? Oh, you science people out there are going to get this better than I do. God's words are like baking soda thrown on that acid because it neutralizes the acid. Do you like that image? I love it. Satan's words, when we say words that are evil and meant to harm and we get ensnared by those, that is the devil's acid. He is meaning to destroy us and destroy the people we are saying those words to. But when we use God's words and we respond with kindness and love and goodness and joy and peace, 
and faithfulness, when we use all, we're, we're spilling the good fruit. It's like throwing baking soda on the acid. It's neutralized. I've said that example twice, and hopefully that will resonate and we'll be thinking about that. Are my words acid or soda? Are my words acid or soda? Just that one little phrase right there, a question to ask. That could make a difference, isn't it? Oh, that we could teach children that and teenagers and young adults and senior adults. <laughs> Are my words acid or soda? Let's think on that today. When we are going through any kind of adversity, hard time, uh, we are tempted to speak unkindly. That's where our triggers come. When we're under duress, under pressure, a lot of stress, adversity, and so we want to realize the tremendous power of our words. So use a mantra. I'm gonna watch the words that come out of my mouth. This is a chance to die to self and live for Jesus. See, that, every, every opportunity is a choice that we have to practice the self-control and die to ourself and lift up Jesus. So that's another question. In this, this second, in this moment, it's a chance for me to die to self because I wanna let go. I want to say, I want to scream, I want to lay this person out, but I'm going to die to myself because I want to lift up Jesus. I don't want to be acid, I want to be soda. Well, let's move on to actions. You know that old adage, actions speak louder than words? It's so true. And there's another adage that says, words are cheap. You know what that means? You know, it means if you're all talking, no action, then where, you know, if you want to talk like you're a Christian, but you don't want to act that way, you know, there's our real test, isn't it? So when it comes to our faith, if our words and actions are saying different things, we need to look at actions as the truth of our lives. Wow, <laughs> we want them to match, don't we? So if we want to know what we really believe, we need to look at how we act. You know, for sinful people whose selfish pride gets in the way, that selfish pride grabs control of the tongue and the words come out of the mouth and then we're acting in ways that we should not be acting. The words of our, our works, though, are much more powerful. The words of our works are really powerful because they show who we really are. That's sometimes painful to think about. So I ask, what are your actions saying? I have to look at my own actions to see what they're saying and if they match what I teach. Wow, see how when you're a teacher, you're held up for, for um, close analysis, you become uh, watched. And so I really need to make sure my actions match my words. You know, I've heard in recent weeks about so many ministers uh, with an international profile whose actions did not match their words. Wow. The hypocrisy is so blatant. 
our actions are so powerful to the world. And so when you are in a leadership position, it is extraordinarily important to use these, this process of self-control of thoughts and emotions and words and actions because the world is watching, you know? I know people are watching. That's important. I learned that when I was young. Our, our father taught us that. He would tell us everyone is watching you. He taught us that we have a name. We have a family name and we have the name of Christ. And so we were taught early that the world is watching what we say and what we do. So we want to ask ourselves, what are people seeing in our actions? This goes a lot of directions. What do we do when we're alone? See, that's very telling, what we do. Do we rah-rah and yay-yay all these Christian beliefs and practices, but it, when we get home, do we go into that cave of despair? Do we wring our hands in worry? And do we cower in fear? Do we get timid in our faith? Do we talk in ways that we shouldn't when we're alone? Do we think in ways that we shouldn't? Do we watch things that we shouldn't be watching? You know, what is it we're actually doing when we're alone? And what do we do when our plans don't go the way we want them? What do we do when we're disappointed? What do we do when a weakness is exposed? When we, there's the leak that has been exposed, what do we do? What do we do when we're tempted to, to go into fear mode or anger mode? What do we do when somebody else is prosperous and we're not? What do we do when other people seem to have it all together and we don't? How do we act? What do we, how do we act when we're called upon to help someone? You know, all of those tell, don't they? Do we act as if we are spirit-controlled or self-controlled? Our actions tell the story. Look at this scripture passage. This one, you know, I... One thing I love about doing studies like this that are thematic, then it, it causes me to dig into scripture in a different way. Because sometimes when you read a whole chapter or you do a lesson on a whole chapter or a whole book, there can be verses that kind of get lost and you don't hone in on them. But when you do a topical study like this one, then verses then come into the research. 1 Peter 2, 12, look at what it says. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. So that tells us how the, the world is watching us. We want to live properly among unbelieving people because they're watching. Our works reveal where our faith is. Our works, our actions reveal where our faith is. Look at what Jesus said. We read in Matthew 12, verse 33, a tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. Now, we can't get any more simple than that, can we? If we are a tree with roots in Christ, the fruit we produce will be good fruit. It will be the fruit of the Spirit. If our roots are not in Christ, we will produce bad fruit. 
We're supposed to bear fruit through what we think and feel and say and do. That's how we know. That's how Christ knows. That's how others know. Practicing self-control is the way we spill good fruit. Does that make sense? Practicing self-control. Hey, it's important for all of the fruit. Practicing self-control is how we spill good fruit. There are a number of good examples of self-control in the Bible. Think about Joseph. Look at this passage in Genesis 39, verses 7 through 12. Potiphar's wife soon began looking at him lustfully, and here's what she said. No, she demanded, come and sleep with me. The next word, but Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. Now, he was speaking about his boss, but that is true for us. Our master trusts us with everything in our entire being. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you. Potiphar has held nothing back except his wife because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Could we just take that passage and insert our name with every temptation? She kept putting pressure on Joseph. Now, pressure can expose leaks. She kept putting pressure day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept her out of he kept out of her way as much as possible. Do you see that? He stayed out of the way of temptation. What is your temptation? Stay away from it. But one day, however, no one else was around. This is the test, isn't it? Nobody else was around when he went in to do his work. And here, just as Satan plans it, she came in, grabbed him by the cloak, and demanded, Come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away. He tore himself from temptation Using all those filters, you know, here's, here's what's happening. I want to put this through God's perspective. And he, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. Well, it turns out well for him because he chose well. Imagine the self-control he had to practice. Wow, what a beautiful example. Now let's look at the examples of Jesus. Think about the power that Jesus had. He had done so many miracles. He had healed the sick. He had created food to feed thousands. He cast out demons. He raised people from the dead. So could Jesus have stopped the soldiers and the people from nailing him to the cross? The answer is what? Of course, yes, he could have stopped them. He had all the power of God at his fingertips. He could have stopped them from crucifying him. Look at what scripture tells us. Matthew 26 verse 53 says, Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? That's the power he had. But he had the self-control to do what God had asked him to do, even through the pain and suffering. Jesus trusted that God's plan was perfect and he knew he wanted to save us from punishment for our sin, so he willingly sacrificed self, practiced self-control, and willingly went to the cross. And after he did, God raised him from the dead, and Jesus now is sitting at the right hand of God. He was obedient 
with self-control. Look at what Acts 7, 56 says. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. That's where he is today. Jesus always had the self-control to keep himself from sinning and to obey God. And the reason he had this amazing control is why he was full of God, his father. And he spent as much time as he could with his father. That's how he could practice it. The more time we spend with God, the more time we allow the Holy Spirit to work within us, the more good fruit will grow in our lives. Well, why is self-control the last fruit of the Spirit? Perhaps it's because the, the self-control is what ties in with each of the other characteristics of the fruit. Self-control helps us to resist temptation and avoid, avoid conforming to all these things in the world. It guides our decisions. It correlates with how we show the other fruits in our lives. Look at how. It takes self-control to show true godly love instead of lust and infatuation, to love others not as the world does, but as Christ does. Number two, it takes self-control to have godly joy when we're facing difficult situations in our lives. Number three, it takes self-control to get along with others and make peace instead of constantly getting into conflict. Number four, it takes self-control to patiently bear with others rather than quickly condemning them. It's very hard to be patient with all. It takes self-control. Number five, it takes self-control to not automatically look out for only yourself, but kindly look out for others. Number six, it takes self-control to do good to go through that narrow gate toward life rather than evil, to go through the wide gate toward destruction. We have to practice control. Number seven, it takes self-control to be faithful and not have our faith shelter, uh, shattered. And number eight, it takes self-control to be a gentle servant of God and show compassion to others. Well, we've, dis we've seen how important it is to demonstrate it but how do we make the necessary changes? Well, first of all, I think we need to do some self-reflection by, by keeping track of our, our reactions, our words, our emotions, our, our, what we say to others, what we do to others. And so we want to do that. And then, you know, what's really helpful is to kind of categorize them under the fruit to see, you know, the one I'm having trouble with is being kind or the one I'm having trouble with is showing goodness to people, whatever it is, or living in faith. And so then examine it and see what has caused those reactions. The next thing is when presented with a stressful situation that is a test to see if we have a leak, then we want to have a prayer ready. We want to have a phrase ready. Uh, I've given you several also, uh, today. We want to uh, have something at the ready to say when we are tempted to act out of control. We want to be willing to overlook minor offenses. You know, don't, you know, parenting is hard, and one thing parents need to do is to learn the battles they need to fight and when to let go. And so I have the will it matter test 
Will it matter? You can fill in the blank. Will it matter in eternity? Will it matter in a year? Will it matter next week? Will it matter in five years? So whatever is approaching you, then ask yourself that question. Sometimes the answer is yes, and then you need to really figure out what you need to say at the moment. Others would say, you know, it's not gonna matter. I'm gonna walk away. I am not going to get mired down in this situation. So do the will it matter test. And next, pray daily for the Holy Spirit to prompt you to avoid temptation when you're about to use control. The more we pray and study and meditate and worship, the more we draw closer to, to God and the Holy Spirit within us, and that's when we will demonstrate the fruit. Well, I wanna share a story about uh, the treatment that can be given when people should give you an insult. Sir Walter Roddy, I'm sorry, Sir Walter Raleigh, a man known for courage and honor, uh, was had this hot-headed youth approach him and proceeded to challenge Sir Walter Raleigh. And, and Raleigh did not give in, he didn't take the bait, and he refused. And this guy spit in his face. He spit at, in public at this wonderful knighted man, and this man took out his handkerchief and with great calmness made this reply to him, young man, if I could as easily wipe your blood from my conscience as I can this injury from my face, I would at this moment take away your life. The youth with a real strong sense of what he had done fell on his knees and begged forgiveness. Sir Walter Raleigh, Raleigh's, you know I'm having trouble with that word, uh, used his filter in his response and it brought this person to his knees. The young man could have benefited from the Greek philosopher um, Epictetus, and here's what he said. No man is free who is not master of himself. We're not free if we don't practice self-control. It's impossible to do this in our natural. It is a supernatural situation. We must allow the Holy Spirit to produce this in us. We won't, don't demonstrate self-control if we don't do it. We let actions of others dictate our own reactions. I close with this. Athletes in training are really strict, as we said the other day. They exercise self-control over their desires. And do you know why? Because they want to get the wreath that soon becomes withered and crushed and is simply forgotten. But that is not our race. We run the race for the crown, the one that we are going to wear for eternity. I don't run aimlessly, scripture says. I don't let my eyes drift off the finish line. I don't let my eyes drift off the righteous road. One of the great, great characteristics we have is the ability to focus through the Holy Spirit on the end on eternity. How much greater should we exercise self-control than that runner? Because we are working toward the finish line. We can let our eyes drift off the finish line if we don't practice self-control. Let's stay in our lane, the right lane, on the righteous road. 
as we exercise self-control. When all those circumstances and people and issues try to tempt us and try to take our eyes off of that prize and try just to steer us away from the finish line, let's run for that eternal crown and then let's spill fruit, good fruit, all over the place. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we get to run for the prize, the prize for eternity. And we can do that by practicing self-control so that we can spill the fruit that you have produced in us all over the place. And we will praise you for it. We pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, go spill some fruit. See you next week.